Thank you for joining me on another episode of Mum in Training, where we talk all things in the remit of parenthood. If you are a first-time listener, please follow the podcast and Instagram. Both are Mum in Training. If you want to email and get in contact with us and ask us any questions or give any advice, the email address is mumintraining838 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The show is broadcast every other Sunday until we hit 500 followers. Then we'll have to up the ante and have weekly chats. Um, if we're lucky enough to hit 2,000 followers, we'll start a vlog if you want to see my face. <laughs> if not, let me know. You know, it's not set in stone. Thanks to our day one listeners. Keep listening, asking questions and giving advice. We really appreciate it. Now that's all said, let's get into today's show. Hello, hello, hello. As always, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. I know that was a bit backwards, but you got it and you understood it. No matter what time of the day you are listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, yeah, taking the time. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about how one of my treatments went, one of our treatments went when we were trying for a child. So this kind of came about, this idea of talking about it, I mean, the podcast does talk about kind of the different ways of being a parent, it's like the main topic of the whole podcast. But sometimes I forget about it because you kind of speak on the moments that you're in. And at the moment, we're in a a place of having our son at home. And so, not that you ever forget about the journey that you've been on, but parts of that journey get left behind. But this week I was listening to a podcast. Yes, believe it or not, podcasters listen to other podcasts. Um... Um, and the girls on there were, I feel like I can't say what podcast I listen to just in case you go listen to them and not to me. Terrible, isn't it? Um, or like, even if I'm allowed to say the podcast name, if I'm not, I'm sure that somebody would tweet me and tell me that I'm not. So the podcast that I listened to was The Receipts and they had, um, a beautiful guest on who is on a show called High Life. Um, who during high life was going through the process of freezing her eggs. And as she was talking, she was kind of, she was saying a lot of things that I've said before about when going through the process, that there wasn't many women that looked like me. There weren't many people that looked like me when I was going through the process for me to be able to take advice from or listened to a podcast and hear what they were going through or how they went about things. Um, Anything that I could find was American. Um, I found one podcast on adoption and this was, you know, by the time we were going through adoption, we'd already done IVF, IUI and self-insemination at this point. Um, And that wasn't even about the process that was more about once adoption was 
done almost like it was the end anyway of adoption and i've said before it was a um, a bbc podcast and it was awesome for me at the time but actually it didn't really give me insight into exactly what it is that the process is about or the process that i'm currently going through and also it didn't come from a black perspective either so yeah i just wanted to kind of lean into that a little bit um the guest on the show was talking about you know the same things she was looking around for information for somebody that she could reach out to for people that she could maybe have a conversation about going through the process of freezing eggs or yeah, just like what it all entailed. Was it the best thing to do? Was there another way of going about it? Who do you talk to? What doctors or hospitals can you go to? And all of that kind of stuff. I think that it's a really important topic. And I think as a black woman who has been through some of those, my experience is different because I wasn't trying to freeze my eggs. So in that respect, my experience is different, but the fact that I'm a black female that was having, I wouldn't say fertility problems, but was having fertility treatment, I definitely want to be someone that young black women, or old black women, please, black women or or ethnic women can reach out to and have a conversation about what these fertility treatments entail. I've kind of touched on the fact that I've, I mean, I said it just now, the fact that I've had, we've been through several different fertility treatments trying to get pregnant. And we tried for um, almost four years to get pregnant, which didn't happen, (laughs) obviously, because now we're in an adoption. Uh, Not obviously, actually, I could have had a child and then gone to adoption but it didn't happen we didn't we yeah weren't fortunate weren't blessed or fortunate or it wasn't for us to have a birth child but today I'm gonna talk on what am I gonna talk about I'm gonna talk about IUI I think am I no we're gonna talk on IVF And the reason I'm going to talk on IVF is because, I don't know, that's where I want to start. (laughs) I think I'm starting backwards. Because to be fair, we started with the process of IUI. For those that don't know what IUI stands for, and excuse me, I am not a doctor. um, And they always just call it IUI as well. It's interine insemination interim insemination and then so I think we tried IUI twice two cycles which is a lot it's a lot of like being in the hospital I mean all of these are quite a lot so I started with IUI and then we went into self-insemination which is a whole nother story gotta find a donor and all sorts Um, Yeah, and Britain, black British men are not parting with their sperm freely. Black British men, please do better. There are women out here that do not 
please do not think that we want your money or that we want these children to come and find you at a later date. But we do want to have black children, some of us, and not all of us are in same-sex relationships as well. Some of us, there's, there's something that's happening within our sexual partnership that is not working. And it would be nice to get some black sperm from a black British man. So black British men, please do better. Free up, free up, please, and help help your sisters out. And, and then we tried IVF. We had one round of IUF and yeah, it was a lot. So starting from the end, well not the end, starting from the midway point, I guess. Here it is. I feel like it was so long ago, I may forget bits and have to go back. But um, I think that it's important to talk about it. So I'm going to try my very best. So when we spoke about having IVF, it was a conversation of, um, do we really need to do this? Do we really want to go down this path? Because like I said earlier, we'd already tried IUI and um, self-insemination. And I really wanted to, I think in it was a very much me. I really wanted to go ahead with it. Um, and my wife was right, like not even behind me, like by my side, like just behind my shoulder. But it was more a me thing, and and we kind of came to the togetherness the, of the thinking that we have tried everything else. If we don't try this, we might regret it, and certainly I would have regretted it if we didn't try. So we said, okay, we're gonna try this, and this is gonna be it. So. We went ahead, went to the hospital. We were with Charing Cross. Charing Cross? Yeah. Charing Cross in like Fulham way, I guess. And yeah, I mean, we were there for a long time and nothing happened. So would I recommend it? Probably not, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I wouldn't. It felt very sterile. Um, there were one or two nurses that were very kind and very good. The reception staff were great. But let's be honest, those aren't the people that I need to be great. It's nice to have nice people. Because you're going through like quite a turbulent time, quite an emotional time. So it's lovely to have lovely people around you. But the people that counted, I don't know. Well, I didn't get pregnant. Well, I didn't have a child. So... Yeah, I'm just not sure that that's for me. If if they were for me, I if somebody asked me, would you go back there, I'd say no. That's as blunt as I can be. I'm sure nobody from the trust is listening to this, and if you are, that's how I feel. So with the IUI, there was... We went in, we had to speak to a nurse, um, and she kind of talked us through what the process was going to be. And part of the process was injections. I do not like needles. And it's not, like, if I need to go for an injection, I'll go for an injection, but I'm not watching. And I'm like, please don't count me down, just put it in and crack on, let's go. I was like, what do you mean needles? She's like, yeah, you're going to have to inject yourself 
huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was every day. I want to say for seven days at the same time. Yes. It's a lot of information, isn't it? Luckily, my wife was with me because I swear I would have come home and told her all kind of nonsense every other day for 15 days. <laughs> Mix this solution and that solution. I would have got it all wrong. I think I actually even, I might have recorded it um, so that I could remember. So that when we got home, we were both on the same page. Um, and that, this was one of the nurses that was amazing. She was so good. And I saw her a, f a few times throughout the, the four years that we were with the hospital. And yeah, she was, I can't even remember her name. I want to say Laquisha. That sounds super racist, doesn't it? I know, it sounds super racist. But her name was something like that. I'm not even lying. I'm not even lying. So, um, yeah, so she told us all about it. Have to inject ourselves. So basically, the injections, what they do is that they boost the amount of... Um, they're not eggs, follicles that you have. So when I say follicles... People will know those as eggs, but they're not actual eggs yet. They've not developed. So instead of a, a female will drop one or two eggs that have turned from follicles to eggs a month, this would give me more than that, basically. The hope is that you have 10, and of those 10, half of those would be good. So they have to be a certain size. They have to be um, a certain shape as well. So that's the hope. So it boosts you um, to having a lot more follicles that they can then remove. And hopefully they develop. So then they take them out of you. They put them into a fridge. Yeah, a fridge to develop a little bit more. And then they will inject the sperm into the good ones, into the surviving good ones. So you hope to have quite a few. And they have, to, like I said, they have to be a certain size. I think it was two millimetres across, or five millimetres. I don't know, I've got those two numbers in my head. So, um, yeah, so we went through this. We've got all of the stuff. When I tell you, we had to go to the pharmacist, which is just in the hospital itself. And we had to pay for this stuff. Every time you go in as well, Every time you go in, you pay. It's not cheap. In the slightest, it's not cheap. You go in, you speak to the receptionist, you sit down, you see a nurse doctor, 15 minutes. 15 minutes later, you come back out. You go up to the reception to make your next appointment, um, whenever that may be, and you get charged. Yep, that will be. And it could be... We put anything from 300 to 1500 pound back there in that hospital. And remember, we've done it for nearly four years, yeah? Okay, just remember that. I'll keep pointing that bit out. <laughs> um, yeah, so we went down to the pharmacist. So we've paid upstairs for our consultation. Uh, well, for our kind of um, lesson, let's say in how to inject, et cetera, et cetera, all the paperwork that we needed and got our pharmacy slip. Went downstairs to the pharmacy, put your slip in, 
you get the medication they ask oh have they shown you what to do blah blah, blah. yeah yeah they have okay so that will be and i think the first one was like 400 300 pounds and it makes you physically like i was sick but you don't see the money like i see them when i see the money now i'm like why did we do that but at the time you cannot see anything but the end result you cannot see anything you are completely blinkered to what you're spending completely blinkered so we got all of the all of what we needed went back home that day that we got home we started that evening and my wife knew she had to do the injections. So she, I got myself ready, wiped myself down, gave her the materials, stood up. She's, you have to squeeze your belly. So you got from your belly button, you do like a smile. This is how they explained it. Like your belly button smiling and where you get to, like maybe just in line with your breast, that's where your, um, your tube is. So where, like where your ovaries are. You squeeze that, you put your, what would you call that, your right end finger, I guess? Your forefinger and your thumb, and you squeeze the skin. And where you squeeze the skin, that's where you inject. So she done that for me. Um, and this had to be done every night, yeah? One of those nights, we were at a family party. You couldn't make this up, I tell you, you could not make this up. We had to, and it was in, it was far. It was in South London. South London is far, by the way, people. When you are a West baby, South London is a trek, in it? It's like a day visit. It's like you're going Brighton or something. Brighton's closer. <laughs> so we was at this, at one of her family's party. We had to, both of us had um, alarms on our clocks, just in case... Like, we were apart from each other. So when this alarm went off, we had to go out to our car. Yes, listen. We had to go to our car, put on the light. I had to lay back in the car seat so that we could put, so that we could do this injection. It was the maddest thing ever. I Literally, I am reminiscing right now. I can vaguely see what we were doing the car light on people passed us they must have been what the hell we thought like we was in a very white area as well we were just thinking imagine somebody sees us with this needle injecting and they call the police like what would we do you know when you you think madness like madness and we did and it it was crazy and it looks suspicious as well, like, because also we don't want the, the family, one of the family members might have missed us and come out and then we're injecting. We didn't really tell anybody that we were doing IVF as well. And not because, um, not because of any reason. We just, I don't know, I suppose people didn't ask. People were, and when, I think when you're in a same-sex relationship, people don't really ask when you're going to have a baby, like, as, it, as they do when you're married and in a heterosexual relationship. So I think people just, yeah, just didn't ask. Um, and so we just didn't say anything. People that knew, knew, that's it. So we were out there hiding, shuffling, trying to get bags, trying to put the um, 
solution in the needle and then put the needle in me and it was a madness it was so crazy and then you know act all normal afterwards even though we were so giddy because every time you do this injection you think oh my gosh this can be creating this could be helping us to create life this could be helping us to create life whilst all at the same time my hormones are mad mad they are all over the place i'm happy i'm sad i'm crying i'm like bouncing off the walls, dancing, I want to go out, I don't only want to stay in my bed, which at the time I did not realise, it's only when I look back on it, I'm like, oh wow, you were, you were off your nut, mate. There were more happy times than sad, but like, there were definite dark days, for sure. So anyway, yeah, that was one, that was one mad time. And then the second mad time, my wife had to go away for work during this time it was something that came up we didn't really know it was going to happen so she had to go away for work and i had to it was only what it was for one night yeah so i had to do it once when i tell you the bruising that i left on my body was ridiculous i'm going to try and find it and it will be the thumbnail picture for this podcast the bruising was mad Remember, I'm telling you, I'd done it one time to myself. One time. And I messed up my stomach. I couldn't have my stomach out. I mean, not that I wanted because the bloating was also mad. I was fat. Like, and people are going to be like, oh, you've never been fat. When you're a certain weight and you put on more than two stone, you think of yourself as fat. It doesn't matter if you're the skinniest person in the world or the largest person in the world. You think that you're bigger. I was bigger. Because I was carrying more. But these are things, again, that they don't really explain to you very well. It's kind of like, oh, it's in the pamphlet. Yeah, but who the hell does any reading anymore? Like, explain this to me. And with me being dyslexic, it's not like I don't read if I don't feel like I need to. And I have to be in the mood. Like, being dyslexic is like a whole other thing. And it's so long. So... Yeah, so I was massively bloated. My clothes weren't fitting me. The ones that were fitting me, they didn't look right because I put on weight in different areas because I was putting hormones in my body for my body to think that it, my period was coming and it's creating so much more than it usually would. So, yeah, that was a funny time, I guess. Happy, funny time. So then I think that was about seven days, I think seven to 10 days of injections. And then after that, you go into the hospital. During that, actually, it was four days in. Must have been 10 days we've done it for. A few days in, anyway, you go in for them to scan you. And that's so that they can see if more follicles are being created um, and if they're looking like they're going the right way. So they're getting their they're big or quite large, um, and stuff like that. So you go in and they, they do that check. And I think that that's so that if it's not, then they need to give you more medication or higher dose of medication, should I say, so that more can build. So when we went in, I uh, said that they were good. I think I had, if I remember correctly, I had six or seven uh, follicles there, but, oh, I forgot about that, um, not no buts actually. I had six or seven follicles there and they were growing slowly but well. So they were happy 
to keep me where I was, just to continue what I was doing. So that was all fine. You're probably thinking what happened with work. Work knew that we were going through this process and they were actually really good, really, really, really good. I think maybe they found it a little bit irritating sometimes because uh, I had to go off for appointments and generally if I tr my appointments were in the afternoon, which meant I'd done the morning, I left at 12 and then I was out for the rest of the day. Um, yeah, but also there are a lot of appointments um, and if your manager's not, kind of understanding in that way it can be quite tough uh, I think my company is quite understanding in that way and that's why it wasn't um, it wasn't too bad back to um, the IVF <laughs> itself so um, we had to book in for a day it's actually meant to be a few hours it's meant to be three hours um, to go and get the follicles removed so that they can put them in the fridge, watch them for three days, and any of the ones that were good, inject them with the sperm that we had given to the hospital. Yeah, we'd done that. It was meant to be three hours, like I said. I think they were running about half an hour behind, which isn't that long, really. And then my wife brought her laptop, so she was able to work from the hospital because she wasn't able to be in there with me. But, one, but wanted to be there with me, obviously, um, and needed to drive me back home also, because uh, it was going to be an invasive operation. So to explain this part before I kind of go on to how it was for me, you go into a theatre and it is on the ward of um, the treatment clinic, and they... You, they put you to sleep and they remove the follicles and put them kind of like in a basin, I guess. Um, one of those sterile silver basins for them to watch them. So they go inside you all the way to the lining of your womb and they remove them off of, off of your womb or out of, from that area, from where they live. Like I said... Not a doctor here, people. That's what they did. That's that, That's the procedure, should I say. So when it was my turn, they rolled me in. Like I said, I don't like needles. So when she was putting the needle in my arm, I was like, oh, for God's sakes. I, of course, had a nurse that couldn't do it. Tried three times to get my veins. Um, they can be quite difficult. Couldn't do it. They had to call in another nurse who was brilliant and was like, Maria, this is going to... By the time she finished that, it was already in. So that was good. And then they were talking to me and at the same time kind of putting this in. So they didn't really get to explain to me what was going to happen. So that was a little bit weird. They kind of like, this is the doctor. Um, I had a little, there's like four cubicles in, in the waiting room where the operation room is. So you walk in, there's four cubicles, You're, I was in one of them, and then you walk through another set of double doors, and that's the um, operating room. So it's, it's, it is almost like, wheel one in, wheel it out, wheel another one in, wheel them out, wheel another one in, wheel them out. It is literally like that. So I got, I was in my cubicle, got stripped, put the gown on, 
lay down in the bed. You literally walk into the next bit. You, I think you have to... Do I have to take a, a tablet? I think I had to take like a paracetamol or something. Just so that... Because they, you are going to be in pain. Um, you're having an operation. So I think I took two paracetamols and then I went in. Um, I got up on the... The, I was going to say table. Is it? Yeah, it's a table, operating table. I got up on the table on my own, like, jump up on the table, little step thing, laid down, legs in stirrups. Hate that. Hate it so much. Legs in stirrups. Um, and then came the injection and the fluid to put me to sleep. So I knew who was in the room. I had three, three nurses and a doctor. And then, like, all the things that you, you think you see in on TV in an operating room, lights and loads of cupboards with silver stuff in. So I laid there and I was knocked out. I swear to God, I woke up halfway through and I was bleeding a lot. They were like, stop the bleeding. You're bleeding a lot. Stop the bleeding. And I was like, uh? And then they put some more drugs in me. Anyway, when I did come round, it was like an hour and a half later. This was something that was meant to take half an hour, 45 minutes. It wasn't even an hour and a half later because I didn't fully come round until about four hours after my operation. Um, and I now think that's because I lost a lot of blood and then they put more fluid in me, put me back to sleep. So I was drowsier than I should have been. Um, it took me ages to come round. Like I said, it was meant to be like a three hour day. I was in there from, we were in there from about 10.30. Our appointment was about 11. And then I was meant to be out of there by about one, two o'clock. We didn't leave until the surgery was closing, 5.30. I think we left, 5.30, six o'clock. We left that place, it was dark outside when we left. Which, or, you know, getting dark when we left, which is telling you something. It was very painful. I remember it being very painful. And I remember being super, super disorientated and hungry. The hunger bit is kind of nothing. I'm just always hungry. I'm about to eat some donuts right now with a cup of tea. <laughs> so, yeah, that was like kind of traumatic. So then you have to wait, and the waiting period's the worst, right? You then have to wait a few days for you to get a call or call the hospital. And, yeah, it's so nerve-wracking because you just want to know, like, what's going on. So we get a call, and the nurse is saying, oh, we got some follicles. I think they got four out. Two of them were destroyed. They weren't worth anything. One of them was uh, considered, um, what was it called? It was the wrong shape, basically. I can't remember what they call it, but it was the wrong shape, so they couldn't use that one. Um, I think when it's the wrong shape, it means that the, the child that could come from it may have a disability, so they prefer not to use it. And then there was one that they are looking at that could possibly work. So we had all of our hopes pinned on this one little follicle. Bless the follicle. It was under too much bloody pressure. We got a call back 
the day later or two days later and we got the bad news that none of them made it none of them were viable um really sorry about that blah 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 so devastating because you pump all of this shit into your body and you try and keep yourself really happy. I stopped smoking for all of that time. Don't get me wrong. There were some points where we were just like, you need to just relax because it's such a long time of putting shit into your body and attending doctor's appointments and hospital appointments and eating the right foods and drinking the right drinks and like just not doing anything that can tamper with your body. And it almost knocks in one sense, it knocks some of the enjoyment out of living out of life. But in another sense, there's a different type of enjoyment that kind of comes in comes into place. Because you're doing it, because there's a bigger purpose, right? Because the life that you're leading is because of the life that you want to lead in the future. So you don't mind doing it. But then when the outcome is still zero... <laughs> When you put, you know, five million plus five million and it comes up fucking minus ten million, you're pissed, right? And upset and, you know, more emotions than a bloody fairy tale. More emotions than a fairy tale and there's a lot in them. So when we found out that it wasn't viable, it was devastating. Not not least because it wasn't viable and there was nothing that could happen. But actually, we'd already said that this was going to be the last time. We'd already put in place that this is the last thing we're going to do. This is that we're going to do IVF and we're not going to do anything else. So it's really difficult. It's really tough for me to kind of swallow that pill. And for those of you that know me, you know that that was not going to happen that easily. Bless my wife for sticking around. Um... Yeah, I went to the doctor and I was like, look, we've tried this. We've done all of this work. We've gone through all of these different fertilities. I, I want you to help me now. So I've done that. Obviously, I told my wife and she was like, look, you need to get that out of your system. Because if, if there's one thing that people, if there's one thing about me, I have always wanted to be a mum. I've always wanted to be a mum and a wife and own my own home. Like, that's been my thing for ever since I can remember. Maybe it didn't happen in the way that I thought it might, but it, it has happened and it is beautiful and I love it and it's what I've always dreamt of. So, yeah, so I, yeah. So, when that came, that came back that there was nothing that could be done with these follicles. It was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. So I needed to make sure that I had opened every door, busted every window, you know, climbed up every ladder, dug every hole that I could before I gave up. And my wife knew that as well. Um, yeah. Do I feel like I'd done that maybe? Maybe some, yeah. There's maybe other things that you could do, but would they be legal? I'm joking, uh, but would they? So when I told my wife about this, she was like, look, you need to do what you need to do. Go talk to the doctor. Speak to the doctor. Imagine. Hey, yeah, yeah, when I tell you this one. 
the doctor said, I'm really sorry, but you're going to have to try another 11 times. Ah, the way I wanted to take a pot and hit him in his head. Sir, do you think I am made of money out here? Do you really? Because to get one try, one try they were offering on the NHS, this postcode lottery BS, we would have to try another 11 times before they would give us um, one try. I literally couldn't believe it. Then I knew, that's it, we've done enough. Then I knew it's enough. Because we've already tried six times, six or seven times. And you'll tell me another 11. Sir, have a word with yourself. Have a word with yourself. And that, my lovelies, was when we truly decided that enough was enough. My body was swollen and beaten and battered and grieving. And I didn't know how to cope with it and nor did she. And so we had to say enough is enough. That's it. And we had to put ourselves on pause to build ourselves back up again. Because we still knew that we wanted to be a family. Well, we are a family. We still knew that we wanted to be parents. But that wasn't going to be the way. So we had to put ourselves on pause, which took a while. Took a minute. Took took more than a minute. To build ourselves individually and as a partnership back up. And that is our IVF story, ladies and gentlemen. It's not something that I tell without reservation or emotion. But it is something that definitely needs to be spoken about, especially in the black community. Because you kind of just don't hear about many black people going for fertility or IVF. We kind of just think, oh, you're a woman. You should know how to make a child. It should come naturally. It should just happen. But there are women out there that for many reasons are, and men out there that for many reasons are unable to bear children of their own. And it's good for us to talk about what places are good for us to go to, who can we speak to, who knows our our background as well, like being Caribbean or being African, there is a very big sense of fertility is like growing a good rose. If you water it and look after it and give it enough dum-dum, it will happen. And sometimes not even enough. Sometimes you spit in the wrong place and there's a child. But it's not always like that. And I think if we know that and we talk about it more... And we have these conversations and we're more open about these things. They're going to help us in the long run. Because we will know the best places to go to for us. Because these because these medics, these medical people understand not just the, physiolo- the physiological side of us, but the mental side of us. 
and our family structure because family is very big in ethnic minority cultures and I think that sometimes knowing that will help guide you in the way that you have these conversations because when they were speaking to me it was like yeah yeah it's like look you're young you've got you lead a good start went to the gym five times well five days a week seven times a week do you know what I mean like yeah, you're, you're going to be fine. No, give me the hard basic facts. As a, minor, as a minority, you're less likely to get pregnant in the UK. Tell me that. Because I was looking at going abroad, but you told me it was like 85% that you're going to get pregnant. That is a good average to me. I tried seven times, six or seven times and nothing. Well, we did fall pregnant, but that didn't carry through. I mean... And just knowing, like, it's not you. We don't hear that enough. I didn't find out, and I don't want to put my family's business on blast, but I didn't find out until after all of this, and I really started asking in-depth questions and having real conversations with my family members that more than half of my family had had miscarriages. So the whole time I was there thinking, this is a me thing. No, it's a my family thing. It's a... This is what happens. Sometimes it just doesn't work. This is not a you thing in my family. And out of the 30, probably 27 of them had 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 a miscarriage, including that grandparents. Imagine if I had known that as a young girl, if I had known that as an adult going into this process, and if young ethnic girls know this, it just won't hurt as much because it won't be... Why is my body not good enough? Why can my body not carry this? Why has my body given up? Because that is what you think. That is what I thought. Let me not speak for other people's behalves. That is what I thought. And it's not that. Sometimes there's something inherent in your body. I found out afterwards I'm deficient in vitamin D. And so I'd have to take a shot if I wanted to get pregnant of that vitamin. Because it would hold the child better. All I needed was a shot. And I had a better chance of keeping the fetus. Knowing these things puts us in a better position to be pregnant and keep pregnancies. But we don't talk about it enough. And I understand that it's a generational thing. But I think that our generation is a little bit smarter. and, And we have to talk smarter. So thank you very much to, I'm going to say it, the Receipts podcast and your beautiful guests that spoke about her fertility. And it got me thinking that I don't speak about my fertility journey enough and that I absolutely should and that I want to be there for any young or old. But I mean, I'm 39 40 next year so so when I say young when you're going through fertility they kind of like you to be 35 and under that's why I say young but um I'd like to be that a person that people could just talk to about fertility um I know that I've been there and I understand it like regardless of where you are at in your journey there there are black women that have been through it and let's let's talk about it Let's be emotional, let's feel good, let's put our heart into helping the next generation. 
understand more, if nothing else, it's about understanding more to our young ethnic ladies and gentlemen. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mum in Training, where I just talk the realest talk that I know. It's been really nice talking about the IVF experience. It was a, there were some ups and downs for sure. Um, and I hope that it can help somebody in, at their point of um, fertility, whatever place you're in. Just know that you are not the first one and you will not be the last one. Um, and there will be ups and downs as well, but there are women out here who have gone through it and who want to be your sister, your friend, your mum and help you and hold your hand uh, and help you guide through this process. Sometimes it's just somebody to listen to and we can be here for that as well. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I look forward to hearing what you got to say and seeing what you think about the IVF process and any questions that you've got for me to yeah maybe answer or talk on subject from London town this is mum in training hit me up on all of the socials and I hope you are listening on your favorite platform get onto my Instagram and watch me be crazy (laughs) thanks so much Helmets on that knee pad, shins, and anything else that's gonna get us through this motherhood, fatherhood, grandparenthood, <laughs> auntiehood journey. We got this. I got you. Mum and training out. Bye.